0: Apology to make to the visitors, our normal service time is 10 o'clock, but I I didn't change the sign out the front or our media, so if you came in for our 10 o'clock service, I'm sorry, you've missed most of the singing, but you're here for the message, so that's alright. I'll I'll ask David Runenboom if he'll uh, uh, bring us a message now. Uh, David's from International Justice Mission And he'll share a bit of what they do and what he does. Thanks, David. I have to get myself sorted. There we are. We're in the room. So as you've heard, my name's Dave Grunenboom. And in case you're wondering, that's a Dutch name. My dad migrated from Holland after the war, that's the Second World War, and um, married an Australian lady so I've got a Dutch surname but I don't speak Dutch so if there's any Dutchies here sorry about that, just have to deal with that. I'm Director of Church Partnerships with International Justice Mission and I'll tell you a little bit about International Justice Mission through the message but I have um, the privilege today of uh, opening the word with you. And uh, I'd like you to fire up your Bible, either this type or this type, and uh, go to John chapter 20. And I'm going to read from verse 11 through to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she wept she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him at this She turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni You might want to keep it open uh, to that spot. We'll be looking at that as we go through today. Well, it's a great privilege for me to be here on Resurrection Sunday. Um, I've been a pastor for over three decades, and um, I love this day because it's kind of the height of the Christian faith, isn't it? If you uh, And maybe you haven't, but if you're aware of the old church calendar, this is day one. This is the first day of the year. This is New Year's Day. New Life's Day, really. But with all of that in mind, we come into this day with perhaps some mixed feelings, don't we? Just going to move this mic because it's blocking my line of vision. It seems that today we've become very used to crying. Down in New South Wales, we've had Terrible floods three times over the last three years. Three successive summers. And they have followed uh, like an apocalyptic season of bushfires from uh, Brisbane down to Victoria where so much land was lost. There have been astronomical losses amongst people on the land and people just living in towns. There has been agonising grief And you add to that experience everything that's happening in Ukraine at the moment. And you add that experience to two years of pandemic disruption. And it seems that we've entered into this new age of uncertainty and uh, fear. And I think the reasons obviously are very different to the uncertainty and the fear that Mary felt. When you read this passage, when I read it a couple of weeks ago, thinking about what I would preach today, it struck me how often crying is mentioned in these few verses. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Verse 13. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Verse 15. Jesus asked a woman why are you crying it's it's quite an emphasis in this passage and i think for us as we come here on easter sunday this great day of celebration and rejoicing it's hard for us to comprehend that amount of grief it's hard for us to comprehend that mary and the disciples but certainly mary in this passage doesn't understand what has happened we think you've been with jesus all these years Surely you knew, but she doesn't get it. The penny has not yet dropped. The Saviour has been crucified. He's dead. And yet in his tomb, his body is not there. And she's now trauma upon trauma, thinking that Jesus' body has been taken, stolen, removed somehow. And she can't work it out. And she's in grief and she's crying. Now... I don't know about you, but the scriptures are particularly honest with uh, our grief and our doubt. Let's just advance the slide, thanks. Sometimes technology works and sometimes it doesn't. Most of the time it doesn't. The scriptures are very honest about doubt. And very honest about grief. And very honest about the difficulties of life. They're uncomfortably frank about the dark and the sharp edges of grief and darkness. And if you've read the Psalms, you will have picked this up. And I think it's good for us that the scriptures are honest about grief. And they're honest about doubt. Because today we live in this tension, don't we? We come in here today, Jesus is risen, hallelujah, praise God, and yet we may be weeping or crying or grieving about a whole host of different things that might be happening in our lives. At International Justice Mission, this is our day-to-day reality. We are a community dedicated toward the end of slavery and violence against the poor. We're a community of lawyers, counsellors, social workers, investigators, and activists. We are passionately motivated by our faith in the risen Jesus. We live by the truth that he is risen and he is Lord over all. And every day we see the reality of slavery. With all of that truth, with all of that praise, with all of that acknowledgement, we live with the reality of slavery today. Next slide. The reality is that today there are 40 million, over 40 million people in slavery in our world. Now that's more than there have ever been. Two-thirds of that number are women and children. And 60% of them are in our own Asia-Pacific region. It's a horrifying statistic. So, as we live our lives of safety, relatively, and comfort, relatively, for many people in the world, and the majority, probably in the high 90 percentage, their day-to-day life is a life where evil is insidious, it is opportunistic, and personal danger is ever present. And maybe that's illustrated this morning in the story of a man by the name of David Makara. In 2002, David Makara, who was uh, a a citizen of Kenya, uh, he was wrongfully arrested by police. And in the process of that wrongful arrest, police opened fire And David Makara was shot several times and one of the bullets went through his right wrist, shattering it. But that didn't deter the police. They filed false charges against him. And David Makara, next slide, found himself chained to a hospital bed in Nairobi. And to make matters worse, David's right hand, his leading hand, had been amputated. This is the evil that had descended on David Makara. Next slide. Now IJM, International Justice Mission, is staffed by people who are raised to life. Raised to life in the risen Jesus. But we still cry for people like David Makara. We still cry out for justice. We still cry... Tears of grief at the evil that is still present in this world. We live in this tension of Jesus is risen and we are crying. And my guess is, even though again, circumstances are different. There are probably some here who will know that tension very keenly this morning. Jesus is risen, but I'm crying and I'm struggling and I'm seeking Relief and help and justice. So for everyone who finds themselves in that position, crying for justice, crying for relief, yearning for a different world, through Mary, through this passage, God is saying to you today, God sees your tears. God hears your cries. God knows your grief. You matter to God. God is saying that to you today through the tears of Mary. And the astonishing reality is that in the midst of any grief or pain that we may have in our lives, we celebrate this new reality of Jesus' resurrection. John 20 verse 11. Once again, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping and as she wept she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. Two very important words. Jesus' body had been. The something else that's going on is that the tomb is empty. There are two angels sitting where Jesus' body was. And Mary can't understand what she's seeing. The disciples are somewhere else and they're grief-stricken. Do you see the reality, the beautiful reality of this passage, next slide, is that all of their ignorance, all of their fear, all of their uncertainty doesn't change the reality that Jesus is risen. Isn't that a great comfort to us today? Because how much unbelief do we see in our world? Much? A great deal. Does it change the reality that Jesus is risen? No, it doesn't. How much doubt do we see? How much evil do we see in the world? Much evil. Does it change the reality that Jesus is risen? No, it doesn't. How much difficulty do we have in the world living as Christians? Does it change the reality that Jesus is risen? No, it doesn't. Jesus is risen despite what is going on. The resurrection is a reality even if people don't get it, even if people don't understand it. Now, I find that a great encouragement because it reminds me that even though I might cop some sort of flack or I might have some sort of difficulty for following Jesus, he's still on the throne. He's still risen. He's still alive. He's still powerful. Absolutely. It's a powerful reminder to us of the reality of what we celebrate today is the reality of the universe. John 20, let's read on. Verse 13. They asked her, the angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? thinking he was the gardener. I don't know why she thought he was the gardener, but anyway. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus is standing there. He's right there, we would say, in the room next to Mary. Like, just how far was it? A metre, a metre and a half? But Mary doesn't recognise him. We we don't know why. We don't know why. There's probably a million theories, but we don't know why. But when Jesus says her name, her eyes are opened. And her ears are opened. And while Mary, in a sense, can't believe what is starting to dawn on her, the wonder it all starts to enter her heart and she calls out, Rabboni, teacher. And she goes in for the hug. We don't know whether she hugged or whether she didn't. We don't know. But Jesus says those puzzling words, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. Have you ever wondered why Jesus says that? Don't hold on to me. Now, Jesus' words aren't prohibiting a physical touch. That's why I said she may have hugged him. Maybe she didn't. We don't know. They're not prohibiting physical touch. There was nothing wrong with touching the risen Jesus because just a couple of days later, he said, Thomas, remember, Thomas, stick your finger, you know, through the wrists. Put your hand in my side. There, was, there wasn't anything wrong with that. And a couple of weeks after that, Jesus has this barbecue on the beach with his disciples. He was raised physically, was he not? We believe in a physical resurrection. So it's, it's not a physical touch thing. So why does Jesus say those words? Next slide. Jesus says this, so Mary knows that because he's risen, everything has changed. Everything has changed. Because he has risen, the way that Mary relates to Jesus, the way that the disciples relate to Jesus, has changed. Everything has changed for the better. It's kind of like the moving from the pre-crucified Jesus to the risen Jesus. It sounds obvious to us, but it was not obvious to Mary. And here's the thing, despite what Mary saw on Friday, and it would have been horrific, it would have been agonizing, despite everything she thought she knew right up to that point, there was another truth, there was an astonishing truth, that the new world of Jesus' resurrected life has conquered the old world of sin and death and the fall. Up from the grave he arose, With a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a... What's the next word? Victor of the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. He was alive. And the world would never be the same again. So for Mary to hold on to Jesus would be to hold on to the Jesus before his death. For Mary to hold on to Jesus would be to hold on to the pre-resurrection Jesus. And why would you want to do that? As Paul would later write, if Jesus has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Don't hold on to that, Mary. Dear me, don't hold on to that. It was good, we had great times, but don't hold on to that reality because a new reality has begun. Day one, day one, Sunday, Resurrection Day. See, it's not just the truth that Jesus has risen. We believe that he's risen. I mean, that's a a cornerstone creed, the cornerstone creed of the Christian faith. But I'm telling you, if all you do is hold it as a truth in your mind, you you probably haven't caught on to the reality. It's not just the truth that Jesus has risen, it's the the jaw-dropping significance of it all. That a new world has begun, a new world of life in Christ, a, a universe where Jesus is Lord over all, not one square centimetre of this universe is outside of the reign of our Saviour and Lord. Paul says, as he writes to the Ephesian church, he says these words. Ephesians 1, if you want to go there, verse 20. When God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things. How many things? All of them. Everything. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything. Everything. For the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way that's a sermon in itself I'm not going to go there but the reality is Jesus is Lord over all he's the risen and ascended king over this universe so even if we are crying today the risen Jesus is far above all rule and authority power and dominion that one reality determines everything else in our lives does it not death has not won. Evil has not won and it will not overcome. Jesus is risen. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Love is victorious and life, the life of, of God in Jesus has conquered. So Mary, you want to tell something? Go tell my brothers that reality. Don't hold on to the way it was. Hang on to the new reality. Tell my brothers that. Tell my sisters that. Tell them all this glorious truth that Jesus is king and no power on earth is greater than his. So our challenge as Christians, as people who go by the name of Jesus, is to take this amazing truth of the risen saviour into our broken lives and into the broken world. And the incredible comfort we have as Jesus' people is that we're not in this alone. I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you the comforter, the counsellor, who will be with you for a couple of days, right? Who will be with you forever. (laughs) He's with us today you know, Jesus is living and 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 alive in us through his spirit today. We are not orphans. Next slide. The risen Jesus is at work in us, his people, putting his broken world, putting us back together again. It's kind of the Humpty Dumpty theology. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't do it, but Jesus puts us back together again. How does he do that? Well, he he lives in us through his spirit to empower us to live this new life. He lives in us through his spirit to embody his new kingdom and bring it to expression. Gary Miller, over the last couple of days uh, at the Keswick Convention, has been calling us all to radical commitment, to trust God instead of ourselves. And this is part of what it's about. The, radical, the call to radical commitment is a call to live out the lordship, the risenness of Jesus in the day-to-day realities of life. And you might say, well, how can I possibly do that? Well, you can do it in Jesus. Colossians 3 verse 1. Since then, because of this reality since then you have been raised with Christ set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of god now, if there's any grammar people in the room you will know that that word that that phrase you have been raised with Christ is something that's happened in the past with a present reality It's already done. I mean, we will be raised with Christ in eternity, but you're a follower of Jesus, right? You're already a risen Christian. You're a risen human being. You're a new man. You're a new woman. How good is that? Especially good when you sometimes feel like an old man. We are raised with Christ. And then perhaps one of the most amazing passages Verses in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Uh, some versions read, he, she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. God's new work is here. Like, these are incredible verses. It's a new creation so miraculous that when people look at the church, when people look at this church, when people look at my church, they should start to see something of the new reality that God is bringing about through his son. A new love. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples when you love one another, when you live in mercy with one another when you live justly and righteously with one another, when you live in compassion with one another. This is why This is why it matters that you are part of a church. This is why it matters that you are part of this new community. This is why it matters how we do church in our world. This is why it matters how the church loves the community that God has placed us in. And it's one of the reasons, next slide, that I love the work of International Justice Mission. As I said, we're a community of believers, of uh, lawyers, investigators, uh, activists, uh, Christian workers like myself. And our whole deal, I'll talk more about this tonight uh, at the Keswick Convention, just a little ad there to get along to the evening session. But we're about strengthening justice systems And that sounds kind of namby-pamby. What does that mean? Well, we've trained in the last 20 years, we've trained over 150,000 investigators, police officers, judges, magistrates, given them specialised training in how to do their work more effectively so that poor and vulnerable people are protected, so that people are never enslaved um, in the kind of ways that they are now. In the last 25 years, we've rescued over 76,000 people out of slavery and out of situations of violence. We do that in partnership with law enforcement. We're not vigilantes. We're not paramilitaries. We encourage that we basically build capacity within police departments to do this work in the way that they should do it, okay? I could talk a lot about that. Um, We've... Uh, worked for the conviction of 4,500 people in all of our uh, perpetrators of violence, that is. Um, In all of our field offices, we have a a good number of very, very smart lawyers who are all indigenous people to that country. So in Thailand, they're all Thais. In India, they're all uh, Indian nationals and so on and so forth. This is not a Western operation um, in developing countries. It's a developing country Operation in developing countries, and we develop that and encourage that and build capacity amongst those people. In all of that, we are, we are breaking the cycles of violence that allow slavery to thrive in our world. And what we do, we do very, very well, and it is working. And so we're increasing demand. We're building partnerships with other organisations, with other entities so that the poor are protected. Because one thing, when you read the scriptures, you hear God saying again and again and again and again, look after the widow, look after the poor, look after the fatherless, look after the foreigner, look after the vulnerable. It's one of the reasons Israel and Judah both went into exile. It's not just unfaithfulness, it was unfaithfulness that allowed injustice to thrive. And it's one of the reasons that Jesus, first day of his ministry, strode into the, into the synagogue in Nazareth and said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to declare the year of the Lord's favour. Friends, slavery has not won. Evil has not won. Dehumanising violence has not won. Fear has not won, and it will not win. And you might be asking, well, how did this impact on poor old David Makara? And I say, thanks for asking that question. Because IJM heard about David Makara. We have a very active office in Kenya. And we found him that day chained to his hospital bed. And we took up his case. And our lawyer's had the charges against him dropped. How good is that? But then our lawyer said, that's not good enough. We need to break the cycle. So we built the case against the officers who had shot him and falsely arrested him, and they are now in prison. How good is that? And later David Makara decided that he wanted to study law so he could help other people who had been through the sort of things that he'd been through. So he completed his degree, writing it all with his left hand, handwritten papers, and he's now, thanks, next slide, he's now graduated and he's a practising attorney in Kenya. And a couple of years ago, 2018, I heard David Makara speak and I met him. Uh, And in the context of that meeting, someone asked him, what do you think of that policeman who shot you? And David Makara broke into a huge smile, next slide, and said, one day, one day we will both sit at the feet of Jesus and we'll laugh about the day he shot my hand off. And I, I'm still amazed at those words. Not only are they wonderful words of forgiveness and grace and evidence of God doing the amazing work of freedom in David's life, But they express such confidence in the truth that we celebrate today. That Jesus is risen. And Jesus changes people. And Jesus, through those people, transforms whole communities. There's such words of confidence in a just God who will one day make all things right the hope that God will bring things right and make things right is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. And this is the hope that drives the mission of International Justice Mission. As we build partnerships with churches all through Australia, that's my job, as we build these Freedom Church partnerships, as we build partnerships with Christians like yourselves, Freedom Partners, We want to take this work even further. You've seen that statistic that there's 43 million people or 40.3 million people still in slavery. That's actually an old statistic now and we think with the pandemic it's probably risen considerably. But the question I want to put before you today is could there be a better Resurrection Sunday Act than to step in for the freedom of those people who are still oppressed in slavery? That's why. Next slide. I'm asking you today to consider becoming a freedom partner as people of the risen Jesus to become an IJM freedom partner. You can just hit up that tag and it'll take you to where you need to go to do that. There's cards on some of the seats. Please feel free uh, to take one of those and hand it in to me later on. What is a freedom partner with IJM? Well, a freedom partnership starts at about $35 a month. It's not a huge amount, uh, but, you know, no gift too large. You can give way more than that per month, if you like. Um, but I probably should tell you that it takes about 10 freedom partners to fund one rescue operation, and there's still 40 million people in slavery. We have a long way to go, so we really do need your support. As a freedom partner, you'll receive regular prayer updates once a week, Uh, about how God is working to rescue people enslaved, about how communities are being restored and about some of the greatest needs that are facing the most vulnerable people on the face of the earth today. And as you sort of enter into that partnership with us, you'll be filled more and more with resurrection hope as you see the risen Jesus working through his people, the great realities that Christ is Lord over all coming to expression as we bring these people to freedom as God's people bring justice and mercy into concrete expression bringing freedom to the captives and released to the oppressed may God bless his word to us and may Jesus be praised on this the day of his resurrection amen can I pray Father God we thank you and we praise you Jesus that you are the king will you give us the grace through your spirit to hold on to this great reality every time we're oppressed, every time we're scared, every time we're in grief. Will you walk with us through that valley so that we may emerge at the other end in that glorious vista of triumph that we have in you. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the freedom that you bring from the freedom from sin, from the freedom from guilt, and that through us you are bringing freedom to those who are oppressed in this world from things that we barely even imagine. We thank you for the words of people like David Makara. We thank you for his example, and we thank you that these things are worthy of thanks because it's you working in him to bring these sorts of things to to reality. So hear us receive our praise. And we pray this in the precious